Well, morning, everyone. Fantastic to be together. Great to have the kids in. Welcome, kids. And uh, after that kids video, I don't really need to preach, do I? That was, that was fantastic. They said it all, but I will. I will preach. And uh, kids, you, you can, you've got those packs uh, which have the handout in it. If you could just hold off for a few more moments on that, you might have started already, but if you could just hold off a few more moments on that, and uh, there'll be a point at which I'll um, tell you what to do with those. Um, let's pray and uh, get into God's Word together. Oh, Father, we thank you so much for your love for us uh, in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, we thank you that you speak to us in your Bible. And we ask now that you continue to speak to us. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Kids, when I was a bit older than you, when I was a teenager, I became a Christian. And uh, at the church I was at, they used to run a summer camp, a bit like FAT that we run as our church. Um, But it was was on the waterfront down at Port Hacking, um, a beautiful spot. And so it was a water sports camp. There was all sorts of um, sailing and uh, windsurfing, uh, ski biscuiting, water skiing, canoeing, all that sort of thing. Uh, Great time. One afternoon, me and a mate thought, um, let's go sailing. And so they had these little sailboats, but you had to rig them up yourself and take them sailing. Now, I don't know anything about sailing, and I definitely don't know anything about how to set up a sailboat. But uh, how hard can it be, eh? So we had a go. We, we thought, well, you look around, there's masts on these things, so it's obviously got to have the big pole in the middle. So we put the mast up and got it in place and locked it in and tied it all down. And then he thought, oh, okay, well, you, you, you need a boom, that cross bit. Let's get that and got that in place and a sail, and we pulled the sail up and locked that all in, and we thought, good, good to go. And he thought, oh, rudder, the thing that steers the thing. Okay, let's, let's get that bit clip that on, get that all going, centreboard, put that in, ready to go once we were on the water, and then we launched, and we are off, sailing, it was incredible, heaps of wind, we are cruising along, having a great time, and then about 10 minutes in, we started to slow, and then it seemed like the side of the boat was getting closer and closer to the water level, and then it was quite obvious we were sinking, because we'd forgotten a fairly essential piece of setting up the boat, which was the bung. The bung's like the plug. You know, kids in the bath, when you pull out the plug and all the water runs out? Well, in a boat, if you don't have the bung, the plug, in, the water flows in and the boat sinks. Now, we were rescued. It was all okay. There's no problems. I'm here to tell it today. But the point of the story is there are some things in life that you think, oh, these are obviously the essential things. These are obviously the important things because they're they're big things and they just seem obvious. But sometimes there are actually critical, essential, really, really important things that aren't as obvious to us, but will sink us if we don't have them in place, and we fail to pay them the attention they deserve. Now, I think for many Christians, that's the promises of God to Abram in Genesis 12. For many, many Christians, it's just not obvious to them that this moment in salvation history is hugely, 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 hugely huge. If I were to ask a group of Christians, what are the biggest and most important events in the Old Testament? I think there'd not be many who said the promises of God to Abram in Genesis 12. But the promises of God to Abram are some of the biggest and the most important events in the Old Testament because these promises are the framework for the entire rest of the Bible. The backbone for the whole rest of the Bible, giving it shape and structure and direction. So imagine you're looking at me and suddenly my backbone disappeared. I'd I'd just be like a blob on the ground. Same with the Old Testament, if you take out God's promises to Abram. And the promises to Abram are so important because they're the answer to the problem of sin and the brokenness of the world that we've been introduced to over the first 11 chapters of Genesis. If God's going to fix his world, 
If God's going to save us people, if God is going to deal with sin, how is he going to do it? Well, the way he's going to do it is by making promises to a man named Abram. Look with me, Genesis 12, verse 1. Have it open if you don't. Genesis 12, verse 1. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. Now, that's a big thing God asks. Leave everything you've ever known and go to the place I'll show you. But something even bigger is how amazing it is that God chose this man. Wasn't a special man, wasn't an important man, wasn't a famous man, wasn't even a person who worshipped God. He comes from a family of idol worshippers. And yet God in his goodness chooses this man to make his promises to. And the promises start in verse 2. Here's promise 1. I will make you into a great nation. God's first promise to Abraham is people. See on the screen, kids, people. A huge family. Now, pull out your booklet and the front page, there's three big boxes. And each of those boxes is one of the three big promises that God makes to Abram. The first is people, a huge family. And you can use the slide to fill in the blanks, but you can also use the slide to draw a picture in that box. Either copy the picture or draw your own picture or just listen in if you want. But if you are working on the handout, keep listening as you go, okay? God says to Abram, I will make you into a great nation. From this one man, Abram, God is going to make a huge family. Children who will have children, who will have children, who will have children. A countless number of people, a whole nation of people. So much so that God says, I will make your name great. Everyone will know about you, Abram. Your family will be so big. God's first promise to Abram is to create a people, a huge family. But there seems to be a problem that could stop God keeping his promise. In verse 4, we see that Abram is 75 years old, very old. And as he gets, as Genesis moves on, he just gets older and older and older. We also hear that his wife, Sarai, is also very old, well past childbearing years. And in fact, she's barren, unable to have children. It's actually a sad thing that Abram's name is Abram. You know how sometimes people have names that have meanings? Um, Megan and I intentionally gave our kids names that have meanings. So, Joel means God is willing. Trying to capture the grace and goodness of God. God is willing. Lani, heaven. That's where we're going. Timothy, one who honours God. And my name, Graham, means out of the grey lands. <laughs> Abram means father, means dad. And so every time someone said Abram's name, they were saying father. Can you imagine how painful that must have been for Abram? And I know some of you can imagine. Wanting to have kids, unable to have kids, and your very name means dad. Humanly speaking, it's impossible for God to keep this promise. There's no way for them to have their first child, let alone children who will have children who will have children. God's promise of a great people, of a huge family, just looks impossible. And yet, God always keeps his promises. When Abram is 100 years old, God enables his old, old wife, Sarah, to become pregnant and give birth to their son, Isaac, the child of promise. And when Isaac grew up, he married Rebekah and they had children. And one of their children was Jacob. And when he married, they had 12 children. Now, that's a big family, 12 children. But each of those children had many children who had many children who had many children who had many children. And so Jacob's 12 children come to be known as the 12 tribes of Israel. 12 tribes full of children, that's how many they had. And Abram's big family came to be known as the nation of Israel because it was just so huge. God makes this incredible promise to Abram, people, I'll make you a great nation. It looked impossible. 
It looked impossible for a very long time, but God kept his promise and Abram became a huge family, the nation of Israel. And God changed Abram's name to Abraham. Abram meant father. Abraham means father of many. Not just dad, but big daddy. Because God kept his promise. A huge family. God's second promise is another incredible promise. See, Abram did what God had told him. He sets out from the land of Haran with his wife Sarah, his nephew Lot, all his possessions, travels to the land of Canaan, which is the land God showed him. And there in the land, God gave Abram a promise. Look with me at verse 7. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. God's second incredible promise is a place, a great land to call their own. Now, kids, that's the second box on your handouts there, so fill in the blanks, draw what's happening. But again, there seems to be a problem that could stop God keeping this promise. See, the land of Canaan, the one that was promised to Abram, is called Canaan because it's filled with Canaanites. Someone already owned and lived in the land, and so Abram couldn't just move in and settle down and take it over for himself. And at this stage, Abram's family is very, very small. And so Abram spends a little bit of time in Canaan, but then a famine breaks out and he leaves Canaan and goes to Egypt, away from the land God had promised him. He returns back to the promised land, but still he's quite a small family compared to the nations that live in the land. And so there's no way for him to take the land for himself. Humanly speaking, it just looks impossible for God to keep this promise. It looks like God's, Abram's family were never going to own this land. And even at the end of the book of Genesis, Abram's family leave the land again because there's another famine back to Egypt again. But this time they stay so long in Egypt, they settle down there. A new pharaoh comes to power and makes them slaves. No longer free to do what they want, no longer free to ever leave Egypt again. It looks like they will never get back to the promised land and own this land. God's promise of a great land looks impossible. And yet, God always keeps his promises. In the books of Exodus and Numbers and Joshua, we see that God does save his people out of Egypt. God brings them, remember, through the Red Sea on dry land. Their enemies chase them and God defeats their enemies. We see God bring them to the promised land and into the promised land. We see God defeat enemies more numerous, bigger, stronger than they were. In fact, God wins the battles for them. And so eventually they come to own the land of Canaan as their own. See, God makes a promise to Abram. I will give you this great land for your huge family. It looked impossible. It looked impossible for a very long time. But God kept his promise and gave Abram's huge family a great land. God's third promise is another incredible promise, but I think perhaps even more incredible than the first two. And this is the promise of blessing, or as primary would call it, blessing. People, promise, blessing, triple P. But if you're a boring adult, you just probably say people place blessing. Now kids, that's your third box. Fill in the blanks, draw what's happening. Have a look at me at verse 2. God says, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. The third incredible promise is blessing. It's about blessing to them and about blessing through them. This is, this is profound. God says that Abraham and his family Israel will be blessed by God. 
And if anyone in this world is going to be blessed by God, he is determined by how they treat Abram's family. That's huge. And ultimately, it's through Abram's family that God will bring blessing to all the peoples of the world. You can see how this promise is going to be the solution to our broken relationship with God. This promise is going to be the solution to the brokenness of the world. God is going to bless the whole world through Abram's family. What does it mean to be blessed? Well, there's a lot wrapped up in it, but I think at core it means to have God as your God, to be under his loving rule, to be looked after and loved and cared for by him, to be right with him. Now, that's how I've summed it up, right with God. But again, there seem to be a couple of problems that could stop God keeping his promise. The first is that there's lots of people who are against God's big family. Again and again, we see people who try to trick them, rip them off, curse them, attack them. And it makes you wonder, will they be blessed by God as God promised? Or will they be destroyed by their enemies? We see it right through Genesis, but then in an even bigger way in the Exodus, where God's family are slaves in Egypt. Is God really going to bless these people who are in slavery in Egypt? And their enemies who are against them, the Egyptians, should be cursed, shouldn't they? And yet it looks like the Egyptians are winning and the Israelites are losing. The first problem that looks like it could stop God keeping his promise of blessing is that there are lots of people against God's big family. The second problem that looks like it could stop God keeping his promise of blessing is that God's people themselves are bad. Again and again and again, God's people keep disobeying God, turning from God, living their own way, sinning, including worshipping false gods. And when God does save this nation out of Egypt in the Exodus, God gives them his law. What do they do with the law? They break it again and again and again, failing to keep his commands and worshipping false gods. The second big problem is sin. God's promise of blessing to and through Abram's family looks impossible. And yet, God always keeps his promises. When people try to trick Abram's family or rip them off or curse them or attack them, God keeps turning the tables. God brings good to his people and drives off the enemies. And God does save them out of Egypt, bringing them to the promised land so that they might live in the promised land with God as their God. In fact, God says, set up a big tent amongst your little tents as a symbol that I live with you. My palace amongst your little tents so that you can see I am your God. And he gives them the sacrificial system as a way to let sinful people have the holy God living amongst them. See, God blesses Abram's big family. He's with them. He's for them. He looks after them. They're able to live right with him. God made a promise to Abram, I'll bless you and I'll bless the world through you. It looked impossible, but God kept his promise. God blessed Abram's huge family and God blessed anyone from the nations who would come and join Abram's huge family. But the problem of sin still remained. In fact, the problem of sin continued to be a massive problem for the people of Israel. They continually broke God's commands And God consistently punished them for their sin. How is it that God will fix humanity's problem? We'll come back to this. Do you see the three incredible promises that God made and God kept? People, place, blessing. And every page of the Bible from Genesis 12 onwards, we're looking for when and how will God keep these promises? 
particularly that promise to bless all the peoples of the world through the people of Israel and deal with humanity's sin problem once and for all. What incredible promises God gave to Abraham. People, place, blessing, a huge family in a great land right with God. But these promises that God made were even more incredible than people understood. See, God keeps these promises to Abraham and his huge family, but they were promises that God always planned to keep in a far, far, far bigger and more incredible way. Imagine these kids. Your parents make you a promise. Hey, kids, at the end of this term, when you finish school, do you know what we're going to do? We're going to go on the best, 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 best holiday ever. Let me just tell you a little bit about it. We're going to go to Queensland two weeks. We're going to swim in the pool. We're going to go in the ocean. We're going to eat nice food. We're going to hang out all day. We're going to go to Movie World and Sea World and Dream World and Wet and Wild. It's going to be awesome. And you think, yes, I can't wait. End of term, only five weeks to wait. Only four weeks to wait. Only two weeks to wait. Last week, three days. And then it's the end of term. It's holidays time. You run out of school. You think awesome. And you shout to your parents, it's holiday time. And they say, are you ready? We're going to Queensland, two weeks of holiday. But guess what? That's just the beginning. We've saved the best for last. This holiday, remember when we said it's going to be the best, best, best holiday? We're going for two weeks to Queensland and then we're flying to Hawaii. And we're going to swim with dolphins and we're going to snorkel with tropical fish and we're going to see a volcano and we're going to stand under waterfalls and we're going to eat such nice food and be together all the time. How would you feel? Yes! Now you tell your parents you want to to go to Hawaii. (laughs) Because the great promise you were looking forward to, which was so awesome, now actually turns out to be even more, more, more incredible than you could possibly imagine. Beyond what you hoped for, your parents are just so good. The promises that God made to Abraham were even more incredible than people understood. Even more incredible than people could have imagined. They were promises that God kept in part in the Old Testament but always planned to keep in a far, far bigger way with the coming of Jesus. Because these promises to Abraham are actually the gospel promises of toddler. Are actually the promise of Jesus' salvation in toddler form. Look with me on the screen at Galatians chapter 3. So also Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. The promise that God made to Abraham, all nations will be blessed through you. Galatians 3, Paul says, is the gospel announced in advance is the gospel preached beforehand. The promises of God to Abraham in Genesis 12 are the gospel of salvation through Jesus given way, way, way beforehand. Here's a picture of me as a toddler. Now, as I look a bit closer, I think I might not have any pants on. So let's, let's move on to the next slide. Here's me as a teenager. Yeah, love that hair, don't you? Big fringe. All right. Here's me as an adult. Slightly surprised by life. Same person, but look very different at different stages. The, the, the toddler grew up through teenagehood into full adulthood. The promises of God to Abraham in Genesis 12 are the gospel as a toddler. 
As the Old Testament moves forward, as God brings more promises, prophecies, pictures of things, the, the, the gospel grows up into teenage form. But it's not until the coming of Jesus that the gospel promise comes to full adulthood. We, we see and understand it in all its fullness because it's all revealed. The promises to Abraham might look quite different from God's promise that Jesus' death and resurrection save sinners. But they're actually the same promise, just without all the detail revealed yet. They're the gospel promise. And from Genesis 12 onwards, we, every page of the Bible, we're reading when and how will God keep these promises. And ultimately, the answer is in Jesus' life, death and resurrection and all that he achieves. See, God's promises to Abraham are not just about people, place and blessing. They're ultimately about a forever people, a forever place and forever blessing. Kids, take, take out your hand out and just fold the back to the front and crease it on top. Flip it over and fold the back to the front. And what you can actually see is the pictures should come through. But what you should also see is the pictures are, are, are these promises are ultimately fulfilled in Jesus. God's promises to Abraham are ultimately about God's forever family in God's forever land, right with God forever. And kids, you can fill in the blanks there and colour in Jesus really brightly because in Jesus, God has fulfilled his promises in an even more incredible way than people could have imagined. See, people. The people God was actually building was a forever people, a forever family. Look again at Galatians 3. So also Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. The true children of Abraham, the true family of God in both Old and New Testaments are people who trust God's promise, like Abraham did. And these people, the people who trust God's promise, are the people who are forever blessed. Verse 8. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham, all nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith. The great blessing of God is that anyone who trusts God is justified, made right with God. And the blessing is for the Gentiles, for all the nations, for anyone on the earth who will trust the promises of God. Anyone who trusts God's promises is blessed like Abraham, the man of trust, and truly right with God under God's loving rule, blessing forever. And the land, the promised land that God is taking all his true people to is ultimately heaven, a whole new creation, a forever land, a universe that is fixed up and restored and recreated and perfected. So big are these promises to Abram fulfilled in Jesus. God's promises to Abram were incredible. People, place, blessing. But they're actually promises about something so much more wonderful and incredible. A forever people. A forever place. And forever blessing. God's forever family and God's forever land forever right with God and truly right because God actually deals with sin in Jesus' life, death and resurrection. Now, I have one more big, big thing I want us to zoom in on to see very clearly. If you want to be God's forever person in God's forever land and right with God forever, then it's by trusting God's promise. Kids, I want you to uh, flip over now to, to the very back and there's uh, some blanks to fill in there, but there's also a dot-to-dot -dot for you to do, and you can also colour that in. See, Jesus, by dying and rising, has done everything needed to save us. 
And anyone who trusts this promise from God that we are made right with, with God by what Jesus has done will be right with God and with him in his forever land, heaven. The way God relates to human beings and always has is by his words, the Bible. And his saving word is a promise. And so the way to be saved, the way to be right with God is trust his promise. See, look at Abraham. Come with me to Genesis chapter 15, just over the page. Abram says to God in chapter 15, he's worried that God's promises of a huge family won't happen because he still hasn't got any children of his own. And he's getting very old and Sarah is very, getting very old. And to Abram, it just looks hopeless. But God's response, verse 4, 15 verse 4, Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son who is of your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then God said to him, So shall your offspring be. God re-gives his promise to Abraham, saying, You will have a child. In fact, look up at the sky, look at the countless stars. That's how big your family would be. But here's the really, really important bit I want you to pay attention to. Verse 6. Abram believed the Lord, and God credited it to him as righteousness. Do you see? Because Abram believes the promise of God, God counts Abram right with him. The great blessing of God. How is it that Abram can be right with God? Not by being good, not by obeying laws, not by being religious, but by trusting God's promise. Abram believed God, trusted God, and God credited it to him as righteousness. It has always been the case that the thing that God requires for people to be right with him is to trust him. And Abraham did, and so is the great example for all humanity. Look again at, at uh, Galatians 3. The Apostle Paul gives Abram as the example of how to be right with God. Abram, who was counted right with God, not by works, not by doing good things, not by being religious, but by faith, by trusting God's promise. And Paul says, same with anyone. Anyone from anywhere in the world who trusts God's promise that Jesus' death makes us right with God is counted as right with God because Jesus has died for us sinners so we can be made right with God. Jesus died in our place to take the punishment for our sin and if we trust God's promise that Jesus' death has dealt with our sin, then God says, you are right with me. Justified, not guilty, not a sinner in my sight, declared righteous, the blessing of God. Now kids, a year ago we did Jonah. And when we did Jonah, you might remember the story of Bad William. Do you remember Bad William? Bad William was your uh, imaginary evil sausage dog. Always growls at you, barks at you, tries to bite you, runs around the house, does all sorts of terrible things. He hates you so much, he's always trying to escape and get out of the house. Do you remember you go into a room and you, and you find him, he's just tearing up your toys, tearing up your toys. You go, William! And he turns around and goes, <laughs> And you think, what is this creature in my house? I remember he goes out and he rolls around in the mud, rolls around in the mud, and he runs in and he jumps onto your white lounge. And he gets mud all over your lounge. You're like, wait up, get out of there. And he turns his... <laughs> and remember, you come into your bedroom and he's on the pillow. And you're like, William, get off the bed, get off the bed. And you, he flies off the bed and you're like, on the pillow is a big, huge poo right on the pillow. And you're like, wait up. And he's like... <laughs> 
<laughs> and then one day, because he hates you so much, he tries to escape. And so he jumps on the lounge, he jumps on a chair, he jumps onto the kitchen bench, he grabs a pan in his teeth and he smashes the window with it. He grabs a cushion and he throws it out the window and he, he launches out the window, lands softly on the cushion and, and flees into the distance. And you come home and you're like, what's, what's happened? The window's broken. And where's William? And you just hear on the breeze, <laughs> now, imagine William comes home and because you're a just master of the dog master of your house and William has done such terrible crimes against you and the family, there must be punishment. And so you, you set up a court of law. You're the judge. William is the guilty criminal. And so you go through all the crimes that William's done. You've done this, you've done this, you've done this. It's very obvious that William is guilty and William deserves punishment. And the appropriate punishment, I think, would be for William to spend two nights outside in the cold rather than inside near the fire on his lovely beanbag, outside in the cold, and, and a whole day without any food. And so as the judge, you say, William, you've done these crimes, it's obvious. Um, I, I should declare you guilty and I, I, this would be the punishment for those crimes, but... Because I love you, I'll take the punishment you deserve, William. I'll declare you not guilty, as if you'd never done the things wrong, and I'll treat myself as if I did the things wrong, and I'll take the punishment. I'll sleep outside for two nights in the cold, and I'll have no food for, for one day. That's how much I love you. William, you're right with me. Now, silly example, but Jesus' death makes sinners right with God because he having done nothing wrong, takes the punishment we deserve. He can declare us not guilty, right with me, because he takes on the punishment we deserve for our sin if we trust God's promise that Jesus' death has done it, has paid for our sin. Are you getting the picture? How the people were saved in the Old Testament and the New Testament today is exactly the same. They trust the promise of God. Whether they had the promise of God in toddler form, promises of, to Abraham. Whether they had it in teenage form, the further promises, prophecies, pictures in the Old Testament. Or the fully grown adult form now that Jesus has come. It's by trusting the promise of God that people are saved and always has been. Because Jesus' death is what saves us all. Old Testament people were not made right with God by obeying the law. No, in fact, the law showed that humans can never be right with God by obeying the law because they cannot keep it. The law was given to prepare the way for Jesus who saves by grace alone. No, no, the people in the Old Testament who were right with God were the people who, like Abraham, trusted God's promise to them. And we can be like Abraham too if we trust God's promise to us. Because Jesus' death was for all people. Old Testament, New Testament, today, his death that makes sinners right with God, the blessing of God. To finish, this all shows us that Jesus is God's plan A. God's plan from the very beginning was Jesus. Jesus coming to die and rise is what the whole Bible is getting us ready for. See, the Bible is one book and you might think, no, 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 it's, it's 66 different books written by 40 different authors over a period of about a thousand years. Yes, yes, yes. But ultimately, one book. Because there's one ultimate author. One ultimate message. Because it's the history of God's one unfolding plan to save us. His one plan to save us. The promises he made to Abram and, and kept to Abram and filled out further were then kept in an even more incredible way than we could possibly imagine in Jesus. 
The promises are all about Jesus coming to save us. Right back in Genesis 12, in fact, right back in Genesis 3, we have promises that are actually about the coming of Jesus to save us because Jesus is God's plan A. What the Bible is not is God having a go at something to try to help us and it doesn't really work. So having another shot at something and that doesn't work. So it's not, what will I do to help? Let's try Abram. Didn't really work. Let's give Exodus a go. Didn't really work. Let's try the law and the sacrificial system. Uh, let's go with the kings. Let's go with the... No, 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 no. Because you think like that and you think, Jesus is not God's plan A. It's B, C, D, E, F, G. No, no, from the very beginning... Jesus was God's plan. And so every page, every event, every promise, every prophecy is preparing the way for the coming of Jesus to save us. And so, if God has one big plan, that he planned before the creation of the world, that he worked through all of history through the centuries to achieve, a plan that comes to fulfillment in Jesus coming to save us and bring blessing to the world, if Jesus is God's one big plan, what is your one big plan for your life? What should your one big plan for your life be? If God has this one big plan and everything he has has been bent towards making this happen, salvation, blessing of all the world through Jesus, what's your one big plan? You might have lots of plans in life, some of them good, maybe some of them not so good, but but what is the headline plan, the the, the plan that is the ultimate plan that that gives all those other plans shape and and, um, structure that they're under that plan, surely, surely, it's to get on board with God's one big plan. Bringing blessing to the world through Jesus. By yourself trusting that Jesus' death and resurrection makes you right with God. And by helping as many others as possible come to trust Jesus' death and resurrection for them so that they can be right with God. Surely I would jump into being a partner with God bringing blessing to the peoples of the world that together, as many as possible, might be God's forever people, in God's forever place, forever right with God. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you that you're so totally trustworthy, that the promises you make you always, always keep. And we thank you that the promises to Abram were just even more incredible than people could have possibly imagined, that in Jesus we can be your forever people, in your forever place, forever blessed. And we ask, Father, please enable us to have as our one big plan to work with you to bring your blessing to the world by calling people to trust Jesus' death and resurrection so they can be right with you. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.